I've been following him for days. And I know he is here. I can see the signs. Sick people have been healed. Hungry people have been fed. The people in this town aren't so angry anymore. There is peace in the streets. And there is peace in their hearts. Because they encountered him. Because he is here. Good morning. Welcome those of you who are joining us right now uh, from an off-site campus or on the internet or maybe in the chapel, the warehouse here. We're glad that you're here. You guys, uh, you know, it's a little chilly this morning, but how many of you are glad you don't live in the Northeast right now? Okay. Now, we're not bragging, okay? It's a little cold. Those of you who are watching us online from the Northeast, uh, we're glad we're not you. So, <laughs> so, uh, so last night's Last night's service uh, was very interesting. It's Valentine's weekend, and um, uh, some of you got your note sheet, and it says Josh Surratt. I'm the more improved version of Josh. What happened was uh, late in the afternoon, I got a call, and Josh said, I am sick, 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 sick. Can you stand in for me? And fortunately, we had studied together a little bit on the message, and so I unplugged, I unplugged all of his Miles and Greta Kate examples and plugged in some of my own, and I got here. And um, 10 minutes before the service started, apparently a squirrel sacrificed his life uh, in our electric system and um, knocked the power out of, well, I, I don't understand electricity, but we've got like three arms or three phases and one of them were gone and it happened to be the one that runs this room right here. And so all the lights were off, which made a nice ambiance for uh, Valentine's actually. Um, we had the candles and you know, just kind of no, no uh, lights here, uh, except for they went and they uh, got some construction lights, which really looked nice. So then I th they stole them or something. I don't know what they did. And uh, then halfway through the service, the sound went off. So it was wonderful. It was great. It was a great night. And uh, we are glad you're here today. Now, before I get started in, in what I want to talk about, uh, as most of you know, um, church planting is a part of what we do. Last weekend, we announced 11 brand-new life-giving churches. Let me give you the report on that. Uh, last weekend, in those 11 churches, there were um, almost 3,000 people attended, and 120 people gave their lives to Christ last weekend. And um, so <clears throat> this, week, this week, we have three brand-new churches starting. Um, Great Exchange Church in Boulder, Colorado, uh, Destination Church in Henrico, Virginia, and the Way Church in Bixby, Oklahoma. And so I'd like to take just a minute and pray for them, if you, if, if you wouldn't mind. Father, I thank you this morning for these brand new life-giving churches. And God, we're believing for uh, just a great harvest. We're believing for community transformation. We're believing that you will be a blessing through these churches, not just this weekend, but in the years to come. And uh, we're excited to be a part of it. And we ask that your kingdom would come, your will would be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're... Uh, we're trucking toward our vision is 2,000 churches, and uh, we will hit 500 uh, later in March. And also in March, uh, we will be opening the Billy Hornsby Center for Church Planting in Birmingham. And I'll get you pictures and all of that uh, uh, for that. But it's part of our church vision. Every dollar you give, part of it goes toward planting these brand new uh, churches uh, uh, very regularly during this particular season. So let me ask you a question. What comes to mind 
when you think of someone with authority? What comes to mind? How do you feel when you think about an authority figure? For instance, some of you feel fear. You know, um, you have encountered, it's, it's like, you know, you're driving, especially it's at night and you're not thinking and the lead foot has gotten to you just a little bit and all of a sudden, boop, there's lights in your rearview mirror. Fear comes, right? And you're going, how fast was I going? What was I drinking? You know, all of that kind of thing and, and, uh, and, and fear and you feel guilt and some of you should feel guilty and others of you just have a guilt switch that flips on that's overactive, you know, or it's, it's on all the time. Some people feel disgust when they think about authority figures because somebody in your life powered up and they abused the authority and it's still there. It's going to harden. So when you uh, approach new situations where there's somebody in authority, in authority, you push back on that and it's because of something that's happened in the past. Others of you uh, feel uh, actual grateful uh, because there was a parent, a teacher, you know, a boss, a coach, or whatever, that uh, used their authority well, and they opened doors for you. They gave you a platform that was you you couldn't get on yourself, and uh, and you're eternally you're eternally grateful uh, for that. So we're in a series called Marked, and we're studying the Book of Mark. Now we're not going to go verse by verse through the Book of Mark because that would take a long time. Uh, we're doing eight weeks, and last week we kind of explained that uh, Mark is a series of, of vignettes. It's a series of pictures. It's kind of a travelogue with Jesus. We called it Instagrams with Jesus. And it's written by a guy named John Mark, who was actually an interpreter for Peter. And so it's the story of Jesus as seen through Peter's eyes, written to Gentiles like you and I. And uh, it's not even sequential. It, uh, there are times where it's kind of taken out of order from some of the other Gospels, uh, it, uh, and, and there are reasons for that. But, uh, so so we're, um, we, we started off talking about marked by grace. It was kind of fun. We, we asked you to take pictures and put them on Instagram and put hashtag marked by grace, and it's been great just to see uh, hundreds of pictures, actually, of God's work in your life. We want to ask you to continue to do that. Wouldn't it be cool to have a trending marked by grace uh, on, uh, on Instagram? And uh, I know, at least at this campus, a part of the roll-in at the beginning of the service, uh, before, before the service started, you saw a lot of those pictures, and you can go online and see them. Well, this week, we want to talk about marked for authority. And we're going we're gonna to take about three vignettes of Jesus and talk just a little bit about Jesus' authority, what it looked like, and uh, how we can uh, walk, walk in it. Now, there are three realities about authority. It's on your outline sheet. Everybody in this room has been burned by somebody in a position of authority. We all have. A teacher, coach, parent, boss, they powered up. They, you put your trust in them, and they abused it, some in big ways. And... Um, and it's, it's, le it's left a lasting mark in your life, and it, and it hurts, and you think about it, it influences how you see other authority. We talked about that just a minute ago. Now, others in, in smaller ways, but all of us have run into people who used their power, power that they were given, in wrong ways. Uh, second 
thought is that everybody in this room has likely misused authority. You did it yourself. You powered up on, on someone and used your authority. As a parent, if you're a parent, you, you've done it. Uh, when everything else didn't work, you used manipulation, guilt, and just the fact that you were bigger than them, okay? And uh, we, we, all, we all have done that at, at some point in order to get temporary compliance and the emphasis is on temporary. Now, everybody in this room could also use a fresh model of what true authority looks like. And today, that's what we want to do. We want to rescue the word. We want to take a look at how Jesus used authority and then how we can do the same thing. And uh, what I'd like to do, we'll give, you, uh, we'll give you some vignettes of Jesus. And then we're going to end it with, um, what about me? What about in my life? And I really would like you to be thinking about that. Be thinking about areas where maybe you're in charge. Maybe it's, you know, as a parent. Maybe it is as a boss. Maybe you own a company. Uh, maybe you're a coach. Maybe you have a ministry. Whatever it happens to be. And uh, how am I demonstrating authority? Am I walking in authority as Jesus would? Mark uh, says several different places, basically, that Jesus came with a new kind of authority. He would teach, and people go, wow, he teaches with authority. He would, he would perform a miracle, and people would go, that's amazing. Um, he would teach his, his guys who followed him, and he would say, you know, this is how it is when you're in authority in the world, but the, that's not how it is in my kingdom. And he would teach them what authority is like. And honestly, our default of how we use power is generally the opposite of what, of, of what God would, would say and, and do. In fact, Mark 1 and verse 27 is in the middle of a picture. Uh, we're going to look at that picture in depth in, the, in our kind of first, first look at what Jesus said. But just for right now, it's kind of give us a background of what we're going to talk about. It says, the people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. Now, what is authority? Let me give you some kind of Greek background. Uh, the two words uh, in the New Testament are translated authority. The first one is the word dunamis. Say that together with me, dunamis. Okay, and here's what it means. It's to have the capacity or ability to do something, the ability to achieve in the area of physical, military, or political power. In other words, this is, um, this is you, you think of somebody, you go, wow, that's a leader. Or that's somebody, they're, they're, they're they're gifted. They're built for uh, to, to, to be the captain, to be the team leader, to be whatever. Something inside of them. There is a dunamis. There is, they exude some sort of power. There's an ability that's there. And that's the first one, dunamis. Now, the second word for uh, authority is uh, the word exousia. Say exousia together. Exousia. And this one means an unrestrained right or freedom of action. In other words, that's the position of authority. That's it. You are in a position. You have the right uh, to exert authority. Now, we all know situations or people who had exousia, but they did not have dunamis. They had the right, but they didn't really have the power. Um, they, 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 they had the position, 
but they, they had no respect or power. Uh, as I was thinking about that, I, I thought about substitute teachers. Now, if you're a teacher, teacher's a tough job. Toughest job in America is substitute teacher. How many of you would agree with that? How many of you at some point abused in a substitute teacher, okay? So what, what happens is, is they come into the room oftentimes, and they have the exousia teacher title, position, but they don't have really the power, okay? And we've all seen that. And we could give you all all kinds of uh, situations. For, closer to home for me were the moments uh, when the kids were in our home and I had, the, I had the exousia, the title of dad. But there were times I did not have the dunamis, okay? They owned me even if I had the title. So that's kind of how that works. Vice versa, some of us know what it's like uh, to have the dunamis authority, but no exousia. Maybe, maybe, um, maybe it's like this. Maybe, maybe you have an idea. You work in a company or you're on a team and you have an idea. You think this idea could make us much more productive or could make the company you know, more, more money, whatever. But you're way down the food chain. And so you have the dunamis, but you do not have the position to implement that. Does that, does that make sense? And so, and so a great illustration on this is that uh, apparently when Christian Herder was the governor of Massachusetts, he was running hard for a second term in office. And one day after a busy morning chasing votes and no lunch, no time for lunch, he arrived at a church barbecue. It was late afternoon and he was famished. And as he moved down through the serving line, he held out his plate to the woman serving chicken. And she put a piece of chicken on his plate and turned to the next person in line. Excuse me, Governor Herter said. Do you mind if I have another piece of chicken? Sorry, the woman told him. I'm supposed to give one piece of chicken to each person. But I'm starved, the governor said. Sorry, the woman said again, one per customer. Governor Herter was a modest and unassuming man. But he decided that this time he would throw his weight around a little bit. And so he said, do you know who I am? I'm the governor of this state. To which she replied, do you know who I am? I'm the lady in charge of the chicken. Move on. (laughs) Sometimes you can have the dunamis, but if you don't have the exousia, you're in trouble. Jesus had both without measure. Both without measure. In fact, Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18, he says, I have been given all authority. I have been given the ability and the right. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Man, man, I read that and I thought, wow. That's a lot of authority. All Authority. I know a lot of people that that would be dangerous for. Would you agree with that? Someone who had all authority. In fact, all y'all it would be dangerous for. Me it would da- be dangerous for. There's a maximum that says uh, uh, absolute power corrupts absolutely. And we've seen that, you know, in every arena. But Jesus had it. He had it all. Dunamis, exousia, and he did it right. So what we want to do is we want to take a look 
at, uh, at how Jesus used his authority, and then we're going to take a look at our own authority and, and to kind of see if we can learn some things from it. Three kind of vignettes on how Jesus exercised and used authority. First thing he did is he freed people from current bondages. He used his authority to free people from current bondages. And this picture is in Mark chapter 1 and verse 21 through 28. Let me read it. You just kind of follow along. It says, they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and he began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as teachers of the law. And then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. And the impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. And he even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. And news about him spread very, very quickly. So I read that story. I do what I try to do is kind of get into the emotions of the people who are involved. Think about this guy with an impure spirit. I wonder what life was like for him. You know, you can look into other places, uh, demon oppression, possession, impure spirit, uh, always manifests itself in antisocial behavior of some kind. So this probably wasn't the first guy. This guy, this time, this guy spoke up in an inappropriate way, and actually, it was a demon speaking through him. People would avoid him. I imagine it was a lonely existence. You know, they'd see him in town, and they'd go to the other side of the street. They'd tell their kids, "Don't hang around with him." He's in the, he's in the synagogue. I imagine that was an unusual thing, and probably because Jesus was there. And people would kind of look at him and whisper about him. And I bet he hated his life. I bet he hated his life. He's an outcast. Loved to be different. He would be if he could. But he couldn't. He was bound. He was bound. And then one day Jesus speaks to him and encounters him. And Jesus uses his authority to set him free from current bondage. And can you imagine what that felt like. Wow. How did he get bound? We don't know. Maybe he did something that exposed himself to the demonic activity, and maybe it was innocent at first, and, and, then, it, and, and then there became a, a stronghold, of, of a place inside that he couldn't overcome, and it grew, and it grew, and it grew, and it grew. I don't know. Maybe it was something somebody did to him. He was bound, and Jesus set him free. I thought about that with us. Honestly, there are many of us here that are bound. There's something between you and your destiny. There's, there's something that you wish you could change, you wish you could fix, you wish you could be better, and at first you tried and you tried and you tried and you can't do it on your own. And if you could, you would. It might be an addiction. Started innocently enough. Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's drugs. Maybe it's an approval addiction. It could be food. 
could be a sexual addiction. I mean, that's a huge one because we admit alcohol addictions. We have a harder time with sexual addiction. I'm doing a little study on that, you know. Porn is prevalent. I mean, we've, we've all seen it. In, in this crowd right here, a majority of those in the crowd, a majority, more than half, have, uh, have an addiction, have, have uh, a sexual addiction issue of some kind. And then, our, then our, our society just feeds that. How about that movie this weekend? Makes it mainstream. Somebody says to me, Pastor Greg, should I go see the movie? I don't know. Ask Jesus. Would he want you to watch? <laughs> Whatever. Just go there. Go, ask Jesus. Ask Jesus. And so, and, and, and the, the imprint of something other than the imprint of God's best for our lives is there and we feel bound. And here's the good news. The same Jesus that released this guy with his authority is here today in this place by his Holy Spirit. And I believe he's going to release some of us today from bondage. And here's what's going to happen during the response time. You're going to step, step into what God has for you. And I want to challenge you to go further. I want to challenge you to walk out your freedom, your salvation as you walk out of this place. And, and the way to do that is to, is to maybe join Celebrate Recovery or at, at the least tell two or three friends what has happened to you and say, help me to walk through this, walk through this. But Jesus used his authority to set free to people that are in current bondage. Here's the second thing he did with his authority. Is he, uh, he used it to forgive uh, people of past failures, past failures. We see this in uh, chapter 2, the next chapter. There's a story of a guy in chapter 2 that emphasizes the power and importance of forgiveness. This guy's paralyzed. How did he get paralyzed? I don't know. Probably an accident. But he's paralyzed. And um, if you've ever been sick for a long time, you know how it gets into your faith, it gets into your head. He, he wonders if anything's ever going to be different. And four of his friends hear that Jesus is in town. And so, and so they, they pick him up, and he may be reluctant even to go. He doesn't want people to look, see how he looks. But they pick him up, they put him on a stretcher, and they go, and the house where Jesus is at is full. And so they climb up on the roof, and they dig through the roof, and they drop him through, not drop him literally, but with ropes, down in front of Jesus. And here's, it's, it's amazing to see uh, what, what Jesus uh, says. He does something very provoking and very surprising. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, stop, kind, of, kind of stop there. Whose faith did he see? People on the roof. Yeah, because the guy probably didn't have any more faith. When you get way, way down, either physically, emotionally, go through a financial thing or whatever, sometimes you just don't have faith. And I love, That's what I love about the Bible is it doesn't all depend on you. In fact, it all depends on Jesus, and he empowers people of faith around you. We have every week, we have prayer teams along the walls here that are men and women of faith. And the Bible says in James 5 uh, that if there are any sick among you, let him call the elders of the church and anoint with oil. And the prayer of faith heals the sick. 
And oftentimes that's not your own faith, that's somebody else's faith. And, and so never miss that. When you come in and you're going through an issue, you go, well, I'm not worthy. Well, you are. You're not worthy in yourself, but Jesus makes you worthy. I don't, I, don't, I don't know that I can believe. I've got to wait till my doubt's all gone. No, why don't you get some people of faith around you to pray? And that's what he did. And Jesus sees their faith, and he says that he speaks to them, or to the man, and he said, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, this is the provoking, this is the surprising thing. In fact, the, the guys on the roof are going, hey, pff, pff, Jesus, Jesus, it's not what we came for. He needs healing. Can't walk. Okay, doesn't need sins forgiven, can't walk. Let's do that, you know, blow on him, do whatever you got to do. But let's get this guy healed. And Jesus is going, no, um, let's forgive his sins first. And why did he do that? He's going to use it as a statement to some leaders in a minute. Do, and so he, he's kind of provoking. But, but I think one of the things that he's, he's showing here is the power and importance of forgiveness. Because I think he knows that if this guy gets physical healing, walks out of the place, but still feels guilty about his past, he's not going to be really free. How many of you would agree that most of life is lived between the ears? See, and, and um, I, I have friends. I have friends who are physically challenged. I have friends that have gone to heaven with a physical challenge. But lived life as fully as they could because they received the forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ. And so there's, there's this power of forgiveness that you, that you don't want to miss. And, and so Jesus goes on, and uh, let me read. He says, now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. That would be a good gift to have. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say get up and take your mat and walk? Trick question. Well, the latter one is probably harder. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so he said to the man, I tell you, get up and take your mat and go home. And he got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of all of them. And this amazed everyone, for they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. And some of them probably missed the deeper of the miracles, and that was the, the power of forgiveness. Jesus used his authority to forgive past sin. It's powerful. I had an example of that. Blew me away a few weeks ago. I was uh, in Orange County, California, and we were doing our West Coast ARC conference. First one we'd ever done, great conference. Uh, we, were, we thought just a few people would come. 1,200 people came. Most people didn't even know who we were, and uh, it was just really a cool deal. I met Katy Perry's dad. That was really cool. So anyway, so um, <laughs> unique. But uh, so, so I got there a, a day early. Just, it just Well, a few hours early. That's just kind of how it worked. And so I thought, what am I going to do with the time that I'm here? So immediately I went to Laguna Beach to Ruby Shake Shack because that is a blessing and an experience that you've got to have. And uh, yeah, it is amazing. And as I was on my way there, God prompted inside of me, call Jim. And I knew exactly who he was talking about, but I didn't have Jim's number. I hadn't talked to Jim in 15 years. 
but I knew he lived there somewhere. Call Jim. Hmm, how do I do that? And so I went on Facebook, couldn't find anything. Went on LinkedIn, found it. Found at least his work email address. And I thought, well, this probably isn't God. Um, it'll go to some box or whatever. And so I, I sent him an email and said, hey, I'd like to, in California, I'd like to meet with you. I mean, it wasn't three minutes and I got one back. When and where? So I said, tomorrow for, for, uh, for coffee. Can you do that? He said, yeah, let me pick you up. And so, uh, and so he picked me up, nice car. We went to one of the nicest. We went to the Ritz-Carlton uh, in Orange County. If you've ever been to it, I mean, it's like the view in the restaurant there is unbelievable. It's a cliff off the ocean. It was beautiful. We were the only ones in the, in the restaurant. And uh, he had... He had done quite well. He's done quite well in business. But what had happened was, um, just to give you a little background on it, on why I hadn't talked to him in 15 years. You know, we have a vision for planting 2,000 churches and all this. And before we started the ark, uh, we planted three churches, and they all failed. Uh, the last one was a spectacular failure, and Jim was the lead in that. He was an old friend of mine and uh, wanted to plant a seacoast in fact, he called it Seacoast Church in Orange County. And we put a lot of money into it. We, we didn't have much margin, and we used all the margin and put a lot of money in it. One year later, his wife called me and said, you got to come out. Uh, Jim was involved in an affair, had bought into the whole kind of Hollywood, whatever that is, lifestyle. And uh, marriage fell apart, church fell apart. I closed it down and um, tried to do what I could to, for their family and just got nowhere. Got on an airplane, flew back, and it was dark days. Dark, dark days. I'm thinking this vision that we have, our financial team will probably not want to be a part of that anymore. And, and you know what's interesting is, um, as I look back now, I can see a scripture that applied to Jesus, but I think applied to that. Jesus said, unless a seed dies and is planted, that, you know, the, the, the growth can't come out of it. And we didn't lose a large chunk of money. We planted it in the ground as a seed, and now it's growing in incredible, incredible ways. But you can see that on the flip side, but you don't see it at the time. And so I, I really hadn't spoken to him in 15 years. And so when I asked him to have coffee, he is a bit um, apprehensive, let's just say that. We, we went in, and it was tense. We sat down, and I asked him about his life, and he told me about his life, that he had... Um, you know, he still has some problems with some of his kids. He's divorced and remarried, but career-wise, it's vice president of a company that's major and just doing really, really well. And then he asked me, why did you ask me to have coffee? He knew that the shoe was going to fall. And in that, I really didn't know. All I was going on was a prompting of the Lord that said, call Jim. And in that moment, the Lord dropped in my heart asking to forgive you. And so I did. I said, Here, here's why, Jim. Uh, I want to ask you to forgive me because I don't feel like I pastored you and your family well through the greatest failure in your life. I didn't pastor you well. His jaw drops. He said, no, no, no. He actually shed a tear or two. And he said, no, 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 no. He said, you and I both know I need to ask you to forgive me. And I said, Jim, I forgave you 15 years ago. 
That's past history. That's done, and I did. I try to practice what I teach you, and that's that when one offends you, you, you have an obligation to forgive them. It's not the same as reconciliation. Okay, that's a whole different deal. But you have an obligation to forgive for your benefit, if nothing else, because you, you're not built to carry through life the bitterness and feelings that come from lack of forgiveness. You give it to God. And I told him, I said, Jim, I forgave you 15 years ago. That's not even an issue. And when I said that, something happened in him. It was like a breath of the Holy Spirit came. I said, you're forgiven. And a revelation came to me that he didn't realize that until I used the authority that I had to, to exercise forgiveness to him. Oh, did it open up some things. Uh, I, I can't even tell you how incredible the meeting was. He came to a meeting that I spoke at the next night with his wife, and, and he has Bronco tickets that he's sharing with me. And it's just an incredible, <laughs> incredible deal. And the relationship's back. And, but the power of forgiveness. And some of you need to receive that. You need to receive it from God. The person you've offended has never, has never, you know, said, I forgive you. Okay. But you need to go to God and say, God, I confess my sin and receive the forgiveness. Because it's, he, he does it, absolutely. But some of us, we have the power to release somebody else, and we need to communicate that. Maybe you've already done it, but you need to, you need to convey the power of authority of forgiveness and watch God work in a life. So Jesus set free current bondages. He forgave past failure. Let me give you one more. He empowered people for future purpose. Mark 6 and verse 7, he says, calling the 12 to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority. He gave them authority over impure spirits. He empowered them. How do you know it probably would have been easier to just do it yourself? Anybody ever experienced that? You know, it, it just takes a long time to teach other people to do what you do. And usually they blow it. Would you agree with that? And you have to go back and do it over again. That was the case with Jesus. He told them, go, cast out demons. And they did a few, and then they came to one that just kicked their butt. And uh, they came back and said, that one didn't work. Oh, my bad. Some of them take prayer and fasting. I forgot to teach you that. You know, and, and he had to go back, and he had to deal with it and do it. That's the way it is. But it's the right way. It's the right way. So, so it would have been easier to do it himself. Fill in the blank. If you want a job done right, then you've got to, no, that's wrong. <laughs> if you want a job done right and to last, then you empower others to do it. Empowering leaders do it through other, other people. Um, Jesus knows that authority atrophies when you don't use it, destroys when you use it selfishly, and multiplies when you give it away. And so, and so he, he gave it away. He empowered people. Now, here's the key, key question. It's on the back of your outline sheet. And it says this, how am I using my God-given authority? That's how Jesus did it. So how am I doing it? Because all authority, if you have authority, if you're a business owner, if you're a, a boss, if you're a coach, if you're a parent, if you're a teacher, if you're a ministry leader, your authority has been given to you by God. 
You have exousia. You have the right. It has been given by God. You have dunamis, which was given to you by God, the ability. So what are you doing with it? And how are you, how are you managing it? Let me give you three questions as we close. Does my leadership remove barriers so that people I lead are free to succeed? See, do, do, do I remove barriers? That's what Jesus did. Bondage, lift bondage. Do I lift bondage or create bondage? Do I, do, do, do I, see, the role of a leader is to identify unnecessary barriers to their followers' success. We, we, we are great at putting up barriers. You know, there's a, the other day I was thinking about, like, bumped up against a rule, you know, that we have on our staff. I thought, that's the stupidest rule I've ever heard in my life. I, that rule wasn't the rule when back, where did it come from? You know where it came from? <clears throat> Somebody did something stupid, so we made a rule about it. Everybody's got to do it. Thought, it's a barrier. It's a barrier to getting done. But we do that all the time. They just keep cropping up everywhere. Barriers, barriers. We put up barriers. Rules and hoops that we make people jump through. <laughs> okay, I'm going to give you this one. You're mature enough to handle it. So, so when I first started this church, I thought, one of the things we're going to do is lower the barriers, not lower, not compromise. We're going to lower man-made barriers. And I've caught grief over the years for this. But the, the um, I just think it's the role of a leader. The, uh, in the New Testament church, Acts chapter 13, uh, Peter and uh, Barnabas are having a revival among Gentiles. Okay, up till that point, it's all Jews. And then they, they, they go to the Gentiles, and they're having a revival, a place called Antioch. And then some of the guys from headquarters come. Some of the guys from Jerusalem, they come, and they see what all's going on. They say, but there's a problem here. Time out. You're not making them get circumcised. Now, can I tell you, nothing will kill a revival by, like, requiring adult meal circumcision. Yeah, I just, it's going to kill it right there. Boom, barrier. Whoa. And so, <laughs> I'm glad you came today. And so, and so what happened is, is they had this big dispute and argument about it in Acts 15 about whether you had to be Jewish in order to be Christian. And, and finally James, who's kind of in charge at that time, stands up and he said, why should we make it hard for Gentiles? Why should we make it hard for seekers? And he's doing what leaders do. He's lowering barriers, artificial barriers. And so in your leadership, you create barriers or do you... Remove them so people are free to succeed. Second question, do the people that I lead feel safe around me? Jesus was safe. He removed guilt, fear. He healed. He was safe. See, are people safe to be themselves around you or do they have to be somebody else? Are they, do they feel safe to fail or is there such a standard that, uh, that people won't try new things because they might fail? Do they feel safe to disagree with you? Are you a safe person to be around? Number three, do the people I lead feel empowered with purpose? Am I doing it all myself or am I giving it away so it will multiply in effectiveness? See, if I'm not willing to send them out, I'll limit the kind of people that will follow me and I'll limit my leadership capacity. Interesting thing, Jesus told his leaders a little bit later. He said, the things I'm doing, you see what I'm doing? You're going to do greater things. That's a secure leader. That's a leader that says, my lid will become your platform. And is that the kind of leader that you are? One last image of authority used well. We'll close. But we had a chosen conference for women just a few weeks ago. Powerful, 48 hours of um, estrogen-fueled uh, 
Holy Spirit presence, okay? And they redecorated this whole place. I mean, and so what we had to do is Friday night it's over, and the staff, the facilities team, has to turn this place into a place that men would come and worship, you know, by Saturday night. And so, yeah, you know, it's just, uh, and everybody's exhausted, they're tired. And, um, and Joshua, my son, uh, leaves, and, and, and then he forgets something, and he comes back, and, um, and he saw this. He took this picture. Let's show the picture. And uh, what it was, it was one of the guys uh, in our church who serves, he's a policeman in the, in the city, but he serves our church uh, on the weekends, um, oftentimes directing traffic, sometimes as security in here to make sure that this is a safe place for you to worship, a secure place for your kids to experience Jesus. And, um, and, so, and, and so he should have been gone a long time ago. It wasn't his responsibility to help clean up. He knew we had weekend services coming. We had overworked facilities teams and overstretched staff. And so, and so here's the picture that Josh got of him. He didn't know he's taking a picture. He's got handcuffs. Do you see that right here? He's got a gun right here. This dude's got authority. He's got exousia. He's got dunamis. He's got a vacuum cleaner right there. That's servant leadership. That's an accurate picture of Jesus' authority. He has the power to do what he wants, but he chooses to use it humbly to love and serve his church. See, there's something powerful about a person in authority who serves and leads with humility. Let's, let's strive to be that kind of people. Can we do that? Most of us don't have a gun. Well, that's probably not true. Several of you do. <laughs> South Carolina, but. Hope you don't have cuffs. Okay? It's a good thing. But we've been given everything we need for life and godliness. Jesus said, I have all authority and I give it to you. The question is, how are we going to use it? Let's, let's receive the benefits of his authority. And let's be people who walk under it and in it. Sound good? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your kingdom, for your goodness. Thank you for this wonderful group of people who are here to serve you, to love you. And now we just look deep inside ourselves. And we ask the question, what are you saying to me? And how am I going to respond to you? I ask that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in the next few minutes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.